hear that? That's the sound of the price going up. My name is Matthew Kroll. And that's some real king shit. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Black is King. Uh, Directed by? Beyonce. Yeah. Uh, We're doing a Beyonce movie. We are. We're doing a Beyonce movie. Um... Also, side note, real quick, Shahir and I are recording this live, you know, around, he's of where he is, I'm where I am, we're no longer across the street from one another, and we are currently in the middle of the tropical storm that is hitting the uh, northeast. Uh, tropical storm Isaiah? I believe so. So, um, I'm currently watching the tree outside of my house, uh, <laughs> literally, like, trying to jump out of its roots, uh, or, or hold on, I should say. So, if you hear anything weird, or crashes, or rain... <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds I think it's all atmosphere because right now in the in the room I'm in which is kind of dimly lit because I can't find the power switch. Okay. Um the cl- the the light bulbs are uh, which also do look a little bit like candles right. are slowly flickering. <laughs> We're doing great. Uh, so I have this, this feeling that I'm like in a in a. Uh, I'm in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein right now. Okay, that's basically what I'm trying to say. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> this should be a, 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 an atmospheric adventure for us all. <laughs> I'm I am loving it. Um, so uh, yeah, we're doing Beyonce. I'm very excited about doing a Beyonce film. This was your suggestion, which I really appreciated when you said it. I was like, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Let's do Black as King. So uh, which and, came out on Disney Plus this week. Yes, it did, and I, it's. Inter- we'll get into sort of the the who's and what's and why's and hows of this sort of coming about. Not only just, of course, us reviewing it because that was pretty much it, but also like I, I was I I dove a little deep into the story of like how this you know came forward as a film. Um, but before we get into that, we have a few emails, uh, and you can email us in, of course, at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at uh, onlymoviepod on Twitter. Shahir, you have uh, an email from my wonderful better half, Miss Jamie. Is this person? What's her name? J- Jamie? J- J- I, I don't know this person. Who is this person? <laughs> Why are they emailing us again? Jeez, I wish these people would stop bothering Listen, us. listen. She's got some <laughs> thoughts uh, on Palm Springs. And she was stuck in the pandemic time loop with you and watched the movie uh, uh, with you yes. uh, on repeat loop. So uh, she says, uh, uh, I just wanted to be uh, voice how impressed I was with the attention to detail in movies with a couple of examples noted below. Now, I will say, Jamie is a fashion designer and has done uh, theatrical fashion before, so uh, theatrical uh, costume design before. So these are very uh, costume oriented. Yes. As costumes go, Nile shirt, somewhere between a Hawaiian and a modern take on a Toilet, toilet, toilet. I don't know what that is. It sounds like it's toilet without the T missing, so I don't know if this is a specific thing. Is a psychedelic island pattern that, while matching Sandberg's cheerful performance, directly suggests being repetitively, repetitively marooned. Sarah's tank, on the other hand, depicts a woman's face with emphasized sunglasses and a series of textures and shapes layers behind her. Not only does this allude to someone seeing through any, um, through any singular perception, but the primary shape in the image is the same as the cave's mouth turned upside down. Yeah. Additional props to the props department. The beer Niles drinks in just about every scene is called Akapura. Akapara? Akupura? Anyway. Yeah. Which which means boundless in Sanskrit. While she does occasionally drink other things, we see him do so most pointedly when he brings Sarah a cocktail in the first act. I like that moment because he seems to still be trying to build a singular genuine moment with her, even though he's been here a thousand times. 
Uh, I thought this movie was a total charm fest, and I'm looking forward to listening to your collective thoughts, which you can hear on our previous week's podcast on Palm Springs with uh, special guest Brandon Ripley. And again, have to point this out one of the best emails we've ever gotten. Yep. Um, and uh, would love to hear any theories on Nana. I'm not going to say this because this is a spoiler. If you haven't seen Palm Springs, uh, just say, keep an eye out on Nana yeah. if you do watch the movie at this point. Thank you, Jamie, for that. Uh, I love this detail about the shirt and the textures. Um, she was And the beer that uh, that they're drinking. Yeah, she I was calling all it... that stuff out, actually, yeah, uh, yeah. during the stuff. It was very interesting. I also listened to an interview with Christian Milati um, talking about the production of, of um, Palm Springs. And it was really interesting. The thing that she just really talked about was that um, because they had to get the costume on every single day and there was just a lot of repetition in the production itself, they got it down to like a science where they were just like in and out of costume within like five minutes. And, and she was just talking about how liberating that was, you know, like you could just, cause most of the time on film sets, you know, you're kind of, you spend a lot of, t- especially if you're doing a costume that's being worn for the first time, you spend a lot of time kind of trying to get it right, to, yeah. you know, fussing over all the details. And this one, they'd locked in all those details so quickly and they'd already shot stuff. So they just, she had the luxury of just being able to get into costume so quickly for this film and the makeup was so quick and, and just how liberating it was. It's really a fascinating interview. It's on the, uh, the big picture podcast over at the ringer network, which is another movie podcast apparently in an alternate dimension i mean i think we've proven with palm springs uh multiverse multiverse theory so yeah it's fine uh thank you jamie for writing that in uh i was psyched she did that because i know that we didn't uh, have time to get to it when we were talking to brandon um we also have an email from marin uh who writes to us and says thanks for all the hard work guys i'm really enthralled with your podcast i'm hooked lol uh also uh, he mentions uh independence day is one of his favorite films of all time all time i look we will not go quietly into the night (laughs) we will not surrender to this tropical storm without a fight we're gonna live on we might one day review independence day uh Uh, yes maybe one day look it's funny i growing up i i i stand uh independence day so hard and i've watched it recently uh not uh, within five years um And it was not as fun, but maybe it's because it was like a TV edit, like on the 4th of July a couple years back, because it's always on. Uh, didn't, didn't you review the sequel on uh, on the podcast without me? Uh, I don't remember. I don't think so. <laughs> maybe you did. I, I actually don't remember. I thought you did. I saw uh, the... I mean, go back and check our backlog. <laughs> uh, actually, I could I could pull that up, actually. I have a, I have a document here, <laughs> <laughs> but if I did, it has blanked out of my uh, my entire uh, knowledge base. Okay. Um, uh, maybe that happened. Maybe that didn't. Uh, Topam historian, uh, 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 tourist man could come in and, and uh, let us know if that actually happened or not. I'm really curious about Roland Emmerich as a director because he, you know, the film I'm really curious uh, that he directed uh, was Anonymous, a movie about Shakespeare's yeah. authorship. And uh, I'm like, oh. I'm curious to check. I, I want to see what that is. I also so, love Universal Soldier. Yeah, I'd be curious. I'd be keen to check out Universal Soldier. True. So I just went back and looked through the document, and there's only four and a half films we've ever reviewed with the word "day" in it. Uh, yeah. Terminator Two, Judgment Day, Happy yep. Death Day, uh, yep. and then it's funny. Holiday Films 2018 is marked there because technically the word "day" is in day. holiday. Yep, sure. Uh, a Long Day's Journey into Night, and cool. See You Yesterday. Those are the huh. four and a half day. Okay things we've done uh so no i might have just made that up in my brain i did see it and i i (laughs) could not tell you a thing that happens to it other than liam hemsworth is in it (laughs) um that's it 
But thank uh, you, Marin, for, for writing us in. Again, everyone, onlymoviepodcast.gmail.com. Let us know what you think about, <laughs> about either Palm Springs or Independence Day, and that's it. Uh, no, no, no. Well, they could also let us know what they feel about Black is King on Disney+. Plus. Well, right? yes. That is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Matt, tell us, um, tell us about, not your relationship to Beyonce, because that's just a little too personal, but tell us about your relationship <laughs> to this particular film. Why, why was it that you wanted to put it on, on the radar? Because I, I, look, you know, I'll be honest with you. You and I have had conversations many a time before about what is a film and what is not a film. Yep. And, and um, there have been cases where we pitched films and we're like, I'm not sure we should be doing that. Like that doesn't feel like it's within our worldview uh, or within what this podcast is. And I, 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 maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I feel like this is a film that we would argue about whether to do um, if I, if one of us had pitched it. I could see why you'd think that on the surface, a hundred percent. I think with COVID, I think with a lot of other stuff, uh, I, I, I've noticed what my interests in discussing have changed. Like, right. and, and you know what? I actually thought about this the other day. So we haven't had like a blockbuster for months now, right? Not to mention right. this is the first time the Marvel machine has slowed down in 11 years. They're, they've got one in the can, though. They're waiting, <laughs> they're waiting to put it out there. I know, I know. Um, so I still like watching stuff. <laughs> I'm glad. This is a credit to you, Shahir. You have brought up time and time again how the 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 big blockbuster machine marvel disney whomever kind of drowns out the other things and and we're this look we're in, we're in july august we're in august now wow um there would have been three or four films on my radar i think that uh, i mean due to like cinematic releases and things would have been more high priority in my own like oh i'm interested to, to watch and discuss this um, right. I, and, and cause you have brought up in the past, y- y- there's only so much space for marketing and for things to be known by and by the, the global audience. But I think it's almost like the perfect microcosm now, at least to, to catch my eye. And again, not that this movie is, is trying to catch my eye particularly, but just like as a, as a generalized sort of alternate to my normal thing that I would watch being a, it's basically a, a visual album. Yeah. Also, with streaming hitting, uh, again, Trolls 2 sort of kicked that whole thing off. And then I think the fact that uh, Disney Plus did Hamilton and got that out the door kind of really knocked more people into looking at what... And I'll say this lightly because it is not that experimental, but experimental based on what they'd put on their service in a weird Mm -hmm. way. Like, that wasn't a risky experiment. It was just an experiment. Uh, Mm -hmm. And now I think this is a perfect... um, Black is King is a perfect sort of continuation of... Weirdly, what Disney and Beyonce's relationship has been since the Lion King uh, super realistic, not realistic animals version. Right. Because she played Nala, I believe. She, yeah, I believe she played Nala. So uh, I, I haven't actually watched the uh, the Jean Favreau uh, uh, Lion King adaptation. Actually, I've, I have watched the first 10 minutes of it. Yeah, and, and I haven't died. I, yeah, and I think I was like, hmm, cool. Uh, maybe one day. And I did, <laughs> did not continue. Well, so, so, this is, so all of that is the same. There's a point I want to get back to what we're talking about right now, but your original thing that I sort of walked away from, I agree with you. This is not something that I think would have blipped on my radar had it not been for this uh, specific um, moment in time. Also, to be mm-hmm. honest, I mean, I'm trying to educate myself as best I can with all of the the Black Lives Matter and, and sort of um, the cultural movement that we are currently in. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, you might want to look into arresting the cops that killed uh, Breonna Taylor. But the the... All of this together has made me start reaching a little bit farther for what I want to see and be interested okay. in those things. Granted, now, 
I think uh, a lot of times, for instance, um, a wonderful like there's different sides of that, too. Right. Because you want to get like smaller things that we've discussed in the past uh, uh, in this current time, uh, smaller films like Miss Juneteenth. Um, yeah. And stuff like that but also this is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum where this is not like an indie darling thing this is disney and I, beyonce i, I, I think yeah i think beyonce has a few fans uh, yeah uh coming <laughs> together to make like a, a monolith and oh and teaming it up with lion king which side note i didn't know was tied to lion king until i heard james earl jones's voice in the beginning so then i was like <laughs> That kind of blew my mind. We'll get into it. But so this is sort of the other side of that equation. Uh, and I was, I don't know, it, it, Beyonce music videos have always been uh, pretty damn cool looking. Uh, and, mm. and, and straight up, I am not, Beyonce is one of my favorite um, kind of like categories of celebrity. Someone I know okay. is incredibly talented and someone that I respect incredibly, but I also don't actively seek out their art. Okay. Uh, I like Beyonce songs when I hear them. Uh, I yeah. liked Lemonade, but again, it's not like I, I didn't, I haven't gone back and like explored consistently uh, her her backlog of things like I would have, say, like a, a David Bowie or something, right? Like, right. It's and that's just personal preference of of of, of uh, what music you listen to on the side. So, uh, I don't know. I was super curious to see what this was, and then as I got into it, I was like, oh shit! <laughs> uh, what about you, Shahir? Uh, so I uh, definitely was interested in this, and I think you know, for me, I I I love that we're doing this because I think it it allowed me to dig uh, dive into uh, the topic of categorization and how do we define a film like this in terms of uh, where it exists. And I think you know we've um, uh, we've certainly had that debate on this podcast several times over. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, ooh, the lights just flickered as I said that. I felt <laughs> like the ghost of Matt was coming to to haunt me through the airwaves here. Um, oh, that's just <laughs> that's just my multidimensional assassins. I keep in line to keep you on your premises. At all times, <laughs> why you know, like you should do the thing where it's just that you just tap me on the shoulder, uh, tap me on the left shoulder, and then appear on my right shoulder. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, um, I, if you're if you're gonna haunt me, by the way, I really want sort of kooky uh, pranks. By the way, you I want hijinks. Want, like, scary- yeah, I, I want hijinks. Yeah. Anyway, duly noted. <laughs> um, the 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 thing that I was interested in is categorization, and we have talked uh, at length in this uh, on this podcast about how do we categorize things, um, being uh, sort of using categorization as abstract forms to in, in terms of how do we just. Um, uh, how do we decipher whether we like or dislike a film? Which is, uh, you know, going back to the conversation about Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. I want to say, oh wow, where I or or J- Jurassic World, where I said, look, I just don't think this is a film in the sort of in the sort of uh, quote unquote um, sense of what I think how a film should operate. Mm. And I think you took some umbrage in that because you were like, well, a film is a film. Um, True. So, um, but then there's also different categorizations as well, where we've talked about. Uh, we haven't done this on the podcast, but there was Hannah Gatsby's film Nanette, yep. uh, which is a stand-up special, which I said was one of the most important films I'd seen of the year. And uh, we had a, a sort of a debate about whether the, you know film required definition in this particular sense as well. Um, so I think for me, uh, I'm just interested in that topic. I think it's a really interesting mm-hmm. uh, idea to talk about in terms of categorization. And I will say, um, before doing this, I, I actually found a master's thesis written by uh, uh, a master's student by the name of Kara Harrison at Lund University. Hmm. And they had written a thesis on the paper uh, uh, titled The Visual Album as a Hybrid Art Form, uh, a Case Study of Traditional, Personal, and Elusive, uh, elusive Narratives. And uh, this was really helpful for me in terms of like defining, uh, well, figuring out the definition 
definition of or figuring out a working definition of what black is king is also um a lot of uh beyonce's other work uh like lemonade and homecoming um and i direct music videos um so i am uh deeply invested in the accompaniment of the visual language against the auditory language. Mm -hmm. And I've also, you know, not to bring up, uh, you know, maybe what I'm most known for on the internet, uh, have done a couple of projects which are unique in that sense, in that uh, they are projects uh, with the artist Nigel Stanford, where we have done visual accompaniments to music that is being written as we're creating the visual accompaniments. You know, typically for a music video, uh, you, you create the music video after... The music, you know, the music has come out, yes. and you're sort of just trying to find something that works in that. In the case of the two videos I've done with Nigel Stanford, Cymatics and Automatica, you can go check those out. Uh, they're unique in that um, they are being created alongside the music being written. So their their definition as music videos sort of stretches a little bit, and and I think that's also the case with what Beyonce is doing here, which is that the uh, or what Beyonce has been uh, working with in terms of Lemonade and Homecoming and, and the self-titled uh, album Beyonce is is this idea of the the visual album. Um, and this is not new. And I think, you know, again, this this uh, paper by Kara Harrison kind of helped me pinpoint some of the, the antecedents to, or the you know, precedents to this. Um, you know, things like uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, which is a personal favorite of mine. I was going to say, I was going to bring that up, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I own that on Blu-ray. I've watched that so many times as a kid. It is one of the most batshit bananas um, things that I've ever seen, but also really dynamic and from a visual visual effects point of view. I think it, it has seeped its way into my skin <laughs> uh, in ways that I didn't think were possible because sure. I've, I've made visuals for music videos and then gone back and watched Moonwalker and it was like, I didn't realize I was just ripping that straight from that moment and didn't even know I was doing it. Isn't that always uh, interesting when you have work and, you, and then you go back and watch something you hadn't watched in like 10 years and you're like, damn it. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I didn't realize it, but I was like 100% copying that without even thinking about I've it. I've done that, yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, um, the, the Beatles Yellow Submarine is another one. I found a couple of really interesting ones. Animal Collective had made a visual album called Odd Sack or O-D-D-S-A-C. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the classic recent- ones, right? Like, there, I mean, you could go Purple Rain. Yeah, uh, Purple Rain. Hard Day's Night. Hard Day's Night. The, the Wall. The Film. The Wall. Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh, I think, you know, Tommy, mm-hmm. um, the Ken Russell film. Uh, even recently, Childish Gambino released a film on Hulu. I believe it was Hulu. No, it was on Prime Video, maybe. Guava Island, which was a 40-minute sort of visual album. Yep. Which was, the, 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 the thing that I think was interesting about uh, Kara Harrison's paper uh, was that, you know, she was she she was basically trying to figure out the way in which a visual album is different from a music video and is different from a film and is different from an album. So she was trying, you know, basically really theoretically trying to ground where these things are different and how they how they explore it. Sure. She comes up with a really uh, a really great schematic uh, working definition of how to define a vi- what a visual album is. But on a loose, you know, on a broadly speaking basis, it is um, not just a visual accompaniment to the album. Sure. It is a way to actually experience the music uh, or experience the art, you know, like it, it is the, the visuals are as key to the experience as they are to the music. So this is not just the case of, um, you know, a traditional, mu- a series of music videos being assembled together, which is what kind of Moonwalker is. Yes. Um, and what Thriller is. Um, but, but slightly different in that the visuals are as important to experience it. And I think there's this one thing, one quote from Beyonce that I found that I thought was really useful here. 
which was uh, Beyonce talking about why she wanted to do visual albums. Now, by the way, in the history of Beyonce, Jay-Z, and Kanye West, there's a real funny, uh, interesting dynamic going on in play here, which is apparently apparently in the wonderful world or the weird or the sad world of Kanye West as we know it right now, he is very upset that Beyonce has been doing visual albums because he he started the trend with his with his visual song runaway uh and wanted to kind of create visual albums but but beyonce kind of took the leap instead and you know they're all part of the same well i mean from what i understand that's just a long music video or a short film depending on how you sort of look at it what kanye is talking about and this both this and lemonade are both like here's an album meaning multiple songs tied together with accompanying visual like yeah, it's just the link that's different. And also, well, and well. also, Kanye didn't invent. I mean, if you if you want to no, do that, nobody th- invented. That. Yeah, you know, like nobody. Well, I mean, maybe maybe you go back to the uh, the Beatles or something like that. Sure. But, um, but this is what Beyonce said about creating. She was talking about creating Beyonce. The visual album that came out in 2012. I wanted people to hear things differently and have a different first impression. Not just listen to a not just listen to a 10 second clip, but actually be able to see a whole vision of the album. It was important that we made this a movie and we made this an experience. I wanted everyone to see the whole picture and how personal everything is to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's a really important thing here because one of the other definitions that we're going to have to work against here is classic narrative cinema and even classic visual or lyrical cinema. You know, so I think um, as I was kind of looking at the imagery, not I mean, it's 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 apparent here in in uh, Black is King, but is much more apparent in Lemonade is um, Julie Dash's film Daughters of Dust, mm. um, which is uh, a beautiful, uh, beautiful Ga- uh, American film about Ghanese uh, immigrants uh, coming to America. Um, and it's very lyrical, very poetic, very beautiful. And it's clearly an influence on the way she works. But that's also, an, while a very lyrical film, uh, is a narrative movie. Um, and this is and what we see in Black is King, while despite being um, uh, sort of anchored around the Lion King, um, is not a narrative experience. Sure. And 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 ah. then again, this is well, you know, it depends. Actually, again, Kara Harrison's paper has a really interesting distinction about the way she uses uh, narratives to push that idea. And she says one of the things that we have to dist- make a distinction from in visual narratives or in typical narratives is the uh, form and consequence, you know, action and consequence is of, of moment to moment, which is not necessarily the case in a visual album. Right. Um, but I think it is that, the case in Black is King because, huh. because and again, only tertiarily and through the visuals. And I guess, weirdly enough, this is a third category, the feeling or meaning that I was trying to glean from the individual tracks and when they hit based around the structure that was kind of the loose pinnings of Lion King. Like, right, right. But I think you're using the Lion King in order to do that, right? Like, if, well, if yes you don't no. know, if you, if you don't know what the Lion King is and if you've never seen the Lion King, constructing a narrative from scene to scene in this in black as king is going to be challenging i see right? i disagree i i think really? and it's, it's really hard to look this is it's, it's hard to unknow a thing and then be like yeah. i would get it right so yeah. like i i don't know if i can actually definitively think but if you just look at the structure of what this is because lion right. king is what is is king lear or, or um it's like a mod it's, it's like it's it's a mishmash of a lot of things right right so i saw and I guess this is spoilers for Black is King, but I don't. Again, nothing we say here I do feel would ever spoil your 
enjoyment of watching this. Like, again, I think this is where the narrative is not important, but this is a tale as old as time sort of thing. What I would get from this, from the pure visuals and the feeling and the, the choice of tracks to accompany them, is um, child is born, uh, life good. Bad thing happens due to bad person, temptation, uh, fear, child runs away. Uh, child eventually comes back and uh, with the help of uh, uh, other people in his life, uh, take back the place where the child was initially exiled from. Like that's kind of, I think that's a clear thing. Like they do enough visual things, even when you go to like, uh, and I'm doing air quotes here while I'm saying this, young Simba to older Simba. Like mm-hmm. they do visual cues to let you know it's the same character. Right. In in Black is King. So like there is a structure and a loose underpinning. Now, is it all of the meaning? No. But I, I think like this more so than let's say uh, a Lemonade. I think this has a stronger through narrative than Lemonade does. There might be more emotional pull or personal pull depending. But this has an actual albeit sparse, and one that is referential to another one, narrative. Right. And, and I think one of the things that um, that um, the Kara... Again, I, I need to reach out to this person, Yeah, Kara, get her on the show! It's not a uh, published paper. It's just something that was really helpful for me to look at. Um, is that the, the narrative construction of what she defines in a visual album is more personal narrative as opposed to um, consequence and action. So the storyline within... Um, Black is King is really, you know, and it's dedicated here to her son. Yes. Um, you know, so, it, and and I think there's an interesting thing that happens here, which is that the film offers a series of looks to camera, which suggests narrative, which, which I don't think suggests narrative, but I suggest like a direct relationship between what is meaning and, and who is this meaning being imbued upon, you know? Like, sure. And, and that comes closer from music video. Um, which yes. doesn't have to be fully narrative. No, it does um, not. Most a lot of music videos are not, but a lot of videos yeah. are. Like, it, it. I. I. Again, I don't think you can. You. I think you can have it both ways, and I think Black is King does. Um, right. There's multiple meanings to multiple things, but one of them is the narrative of the Lion King. <laughs> right. 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 Um, so, the the the. I think. Yeah. I think you're right. The Lion King does play into this in an interesting way because, again, so she worked on. Um, uh, where it's on the Lion King and then had Disney uh, Disney Plus pay for her to do this this visual album, which I think is incredible. Yeah, and uh, she also released this on an album back in July or August of yeah, 2019. Yeah, so the album, yeah, yeah, the album had been out for a little while. Well, the, the, the tracks, The Lion King, The Gift, uh, had been out for a yeah. little while. Um, so uh, this is fascinating. First off, it is devastatingly beautiful to watch. Yeah. It is, it is like, if you... You know when you go to a uh, uh, when you used to be able to go to an electronic store and watch um, <laughs> content on a screen that would be played uh, to demonstrate the prowess of the uh, of the device you're watching it on, or better uh, yet, one of those night- rooms. Remember those rooms they had in the ba- in like the back of like a circuit city or something. Remember yeah, that, yeah, yeah. and you could like sit on the couch, and they had like the giant wall of speakers and the huge like nine <laughs> screens around you. Yeah. Can I can I tell you um, uh, the music videos I've done with Nigel have appeared in showrooms uh, for that purpose. It has been licensed out to do that. Particularly, it was a licensed. It, it's licensed by Dolby Digital, I believe, oh. uh, for that exact purpose. Well, well, well. Um, brush that brush that dust off your shoulders. You hear? <laughs> it was. It's it's just fun. Like I've I've gone into showrooms and there it's been. <laughs> Get that Dolby money. 
Um, yeah, I know. Where's my Where's my residuals? <laughs> At thing? the very least, get a Dolby surround sound system out of it. I don't. I got nothing. I got nothing. Uh, I, to be fair, it's all Nigel. Nigel deserves the the lion's share of all of this. You know, I pay for my job. Love you, Nigel. Um, so, um, but I think this would be one of the perfect examples of something to play in a in a screening room yeah. to 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 demonstrate not only the auditory power of the system you're watching in it but also the visual power it is breathtakingly gorgeous yeah. like you know in a in a in a way i i guess it is borrowing the language of music videos but it's the compounding effect of watching this in sequence over time is hypnotic and mesmerizing yeah. it is you know the the visuals are grand in scope in a way that most narrative features never uh never come close to i think the only person i can think of and in, in, in you know the person that comes to my mind is uh tarsim with his film the fall hmm. um you know that that's a sort of a close accompaniment but the but the other artists are jeffrey reggio and robert frick uh with samsara and the katsi trilogies you know this is gorgeousness and gorgeousity defined yeah uh, I also, uh, I mean, and I think a lot of that obviously comes from the cinematic techniques and the cinematography that they use, no question. Uh, also, I I was shocked, and at first I was just like a little bit like, oh, okay, but then I really liked what they did with emphasis, changing um, basically both aspect ratio and resolution. And film stock. And film stock. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think that at first, I w- I, whenever that happens in a movie, because I'm a jaded asshole, I always am like, oh, really? We're doing this? Okay. Like, but, but, and then a film kind of like, weirdly, I like see why they're doing it or, or I don't, right? Like, and this was absolutely not gimmicky. I think this, I think this actually was a, was a very calculated decision. I think, and, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, Shahir, to, to lessen music video fatigue. Because if you if you said, hey, you want to watch an hour and a half music video? I'd be like, no. <laughs> like, uh, there's something about, like, the way that this is broken up and the way that the tracks kind of flow into each other. And then once we're in it, both the way that uh, – sort of the way we're shown the visuals, I think really sort of, like, at least put me into a flow state. I was never bored. I was never, uh, like, distracted or distractible. Uh, right. any distraction came from honestly the biggest distraction in this thing was me like finding people in the movie right, like right. which was fun in terms of in terms of what other celebrities uh, <laughs> or people in Beyonce's life I mean uh, you know uh, Jay-Z her daughter Kelly Rowland um, uh, Pharrell Williams on a on a on a amazing and poignant um, light and dark blue water barrel stage yeah. uh, there's a lot in this there's a lot so um, I, I I don't know. Did you, do you think what what do you think was the purpose behind uh, different film stocks, different ratios, etc.? Uh, yeah. So I come from this from a slightly different point of view, which is that um, it's a technique. Uh, I guess I don't see it as an as like an aesthetic choice, but it's a technique that I got taught at some point. Um, and I want to shout out to uh, 
Mark Albiston over at Sticky Pitches, which is a fantastic production company that I actually did a little bit of work for when I was back oh. in New Zealand. And it was a technique that they actually used, which is that they did these like really beautiful commercials and music videos. They did this really fantastic show called The Living Room, um, where they um, um, uh, did documentaries on artists. And what the reason I think this is a really cool technique, and it's the reason I was taught to do this, is that uh, I think the phrase that was used all the time was getting it for free. And what that means is, <laughs> is that you would take out a Super 8 camera or a Super 16 camera. So while, because the thing about, you know, and you know this, when you're out shooting um, on set to move the actual main camera is, it's, it's, it's always way longer than you ever think it's going to be. Like, yeah, it's a beast. It's a, you know, like to move an A camera, like 10 degrees to the right is like, you know, like everybody has to turn, all the lights have to turn. And so what the director, Mark Albiston, used to always say was like, take out the Super 16 camera and you always get this cutaway that's kind of weird. And, and what's cool about this cutaway doing like with this sort of Super 16 look is it's specifically not going to look like your main shot. So it looks like it was intentional, right? Like, because it's, it's just so different to what you're going to be shooting. Um, right. And so you get it for free. And in music videos, it's a kind of a great thing because like in music videos, one of the things you need is just a shit ton of coverage and you don't have time for a shit ton of coverage. So it was just, I, I sort of see it as like a aesthetic choice, you know, well, no, not as, sorry. I see it as like a, as a practical choice of just like, how can I cram in another cool visual in this whole thing? Um, right, right, right. You, you know, like other filmmakers like Oliver Stone used to kind of do this quite a lot in um, some of his like 90s paranoia thr thrillers, you know, like uh, JFK. Um, so it's a, it's, I, I think it's a cool little technique. I, I sometimes think it's, it's <laughs> part of me goes, it's a little cheap trick, but you know, I think in the case of this, it's, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. You say for free and I, instantly my brain goes back to how difficult, even back in the days when I was in film school, how difficult it was in, in Massachusetts and how expensive to get eight millimeter, 16 millimeter film right. developed because there was only one place that did the codec processing yeah, in yeah. Fall River, Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, shout out to that place. Hope you're still there. Well, well um, so when I say so, for free, I mean, relative spe I relatively speaking to the, uh, of course. To the main production. Of course. You, yeah. You mean it's an additional shot, it's an additional piece of footage you are getting for your setup and during your time that you can cut to, which, I, oh, granted, it is not free. I just instantly went to it. I was like, <laughs> oh, man, film's expensive. Um, no. Anyway, no, no, that's, that's a really good, that's a really interesting point. Uh, and it's, I'm always a fan of things that are both functional and effective. And I know that's a real basic <laughs> B thing to say, but when it comes to filmmaking and either music videos or or, or movie films, motion picture movie, movie films, films yeah. uh, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm always uh, I always like hearing stories like that. And I always, it's it's great to like it's great when the the budgetary and the creative sort of mash oh, together. I, I got so uh, many music video stories. One of the worst things I've ever done is I used to teach a class on media studies, and occasionally I would tell stories about you know like how to make a music video or things that had happened in our music music videos and I was marking yeah. end of year essays and someone in their end of year essay referenced a story that I had told in the class as a piece of evidence for a critical theory. And I was like, Oh God, that's like not, you know, like, cause I know that someone else was going to have to peer review my, my marking of this. And I was like, this is not a, this is not a, a, a sound resource to use to like an anecdote from Shahir shouldn't be in your footnotes. And you gave him an A minus. A plus. A plus. <laughs>
Um, but look, while we're so so if we're doing that, I think one of the things that we're just kind of touching on here is the variety of the styles of music videos that are in this. And do we kind of just want to run through some of these and what we responded to well, and and maybe what we didn't respond to well? I you know, do you want to go first? I mean, sure. I have one more global before okay. we get to that, though, sure. uh, and that is honestly, uh, and 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 I feel like Jamie would destroy me if I didn't oh, yeah. bring this up. But oh, the costuming, yeah, uh, in this film is is insane. Yeah, um, it, like every every piece feels okay. So, um, I am not a fan of, um, how do I put it? Uh, I, I, I was gonna say ecstatic. That's not the word. Eccentric fashion. Okay. Like uh, I know Jamie is, and a lot of people are, but like the runway stuff that is not something that anyone would ever wear. I understand why it exists. I understand people are into it for the art form and sort of getting the feeling of what the this season's fashions will be. And of course, people aren't going to be wearing the 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 leather haversack over their face with like uh you know <laughs> don't cut me carved in the side so you can see how you know whatever it is. Yeah. Like, but. Uh, I'm just not a fan of watching that stuff. Right. So, um, but but I have to say, it's funny because while this could you could, if not paying attention, sort of put what is in Black is King into that category. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's the pinnacle of of that sort of like costume for feeling. Yeah. Uh, that I've seen in quite some time, like. Uh, Literally every like it will actually this will get into sort of some of the specifics that you wanted to get into too for the different tracks or the different portions, but like every piece every costume felt. Um, let me let me rephrase. Everything else in these sections or the 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 film in its entirety almost felt like it was there to service the costume is how good this cos these this costuming choices were. Like uh, if you're going to, basically from like build or color. Um, it's funny, Jamie even brought up the fact, uh, and I, I, I agree, uh, that Beyonce, uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, Beyonce's skin, uh, uh, n but never sort of close to, um, basically like, there, there's some side boob or deep Vs and stuff like that, <laughs> but she's never shot, she's never shot in a, like, a, a, for the male gaze or in any sort of sexuality sort of, or, or like, it was never designed to have you leer. Right. Uh, which is a v incredibly difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, man, I I would I loved Jay Z's outfit. Yeah. In his yeah. portion of this thing, it yeah. was so fucking cool looking. That, Everyone's. That I don't know what like did you solid what? diamond that solid square piece of jewelry that he was wearing. It felt like a topaz, like yeah, a yeah, giant yeah. topaz that the kid was um, also wearing as well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, the uh, weird thing about Jay Z is the is like the more he's let his afro grow out and like just be kind of a miss, the bitter he looks. It's really strange because he used to be like a little bit more clean cut for a little period. I think that was the style though, right? Yeah. No, he used to be like more clean cut, you know, like in that early or oh, mid 2000s. No, it's probably late 2000. No, it was, yeah. Er, mid 2010s, you know, when he was yeah. doing stuff with uh, with uh, Justin Timberlake and the suit and tie, you know, so he was all very mm -hmm. clean cut, but now he looks way bitter, you know, like now, now that he's just letting it kind of just grow and, and be out there. Um, I think it looks great. I, I, I think the point I want to touch on here is that um, uh, uh, music video, to me, like why I love, 
I actually, you know, like I deeply, deeply, despite making music videos, I'm really passionate about the art form. Um, I mm-hmm. think it's a it's a really beautiful art form, and and it it the the challenge of making any music video is it's in the nexus between being a commercial and a piece of art, right? Like it's yeah. it's 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 not quite it is selling a product, but it's not quite a commercial. So. Um, what I love about great music videos is that they transcend that commercialism, which is like, I want to sell you this piece of music and become a work of art. And no more has that happened in the realm of fashion. So, you know, like to me, great music videos tend to take the impracticality of fashion and make it live within a world that makes it make sense and beautiful. And where you go, oh, that's cool. Whereas, you know, like, I think what you're saying is I hate, yeah, like when you see something walking down a runway and it's like, somebody wearing you know um what was the joke we had on uh was it our matrix episode my nipple high uh leather jacket you know like yes, yeah like yes. if, you see, if you see that on a runway you're like Ugh. but then if you see that in the context of a world that looks like the matrix or whatever you're like oh that's cool you know what i mean like it, it it's it's putting it in context and i think this 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 leads into a bigger issue or a bigger takeaway for black is king that i want to get into which is obviously the title black is king Mm -hmm. and this is everything that you know beyonce and jay-z have kind of been working on for the last you know 15 years now is this idea of um black royalty black excellence you know and it's this idea of um uh, the 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 gaze that they give the audience is this representative gaze of 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 our excellence is not synonymous with the things that uh, we would typically associate with blackness, you know, like or that we would uh, associate with blackness and poverty or anything like that. This is this is we are royalty, we are kings, we are we are reclaiming. It's it's you know it it's perfectly in line with Afrofuturism um, and 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 that work. And I think fashion is part of that. Um, so uh, a lot of the way this mu- visual album is constructed is around fashion iconography. Um, mm-hmm. and the fashion iconography is the portrait, you know, it is the, it is the straight clock to the camera, which, you know, many, uh, uh, characters and, you know, players in this film do. It's a, it's that straight gaze. Um, and the reason I wanted to mention this is I actually got a, uh, I got a direct message from, uh, the blade about this, uh, from Jonathan blade on Twitter, uh, who sort of just made this one, the blade DM to you. Yeah. The blade DMs me, you know, I love, I love hearing from the blade. Um, and, and, and he had, uh, this to say about, um, about the trope of, the uh, of shots, uh, with with uh, black folks regularly looking at the camera. Uh, it's something profoundly def- and defiantly something that I associate with black media. Uh, do you know if it started uh, somewhere else or was adopted, or is it something that was started in black media? I guess that is its purpose to portray the quiet strength of regular people. And I think, you know, like, I don't know if you kind of, you know, notice that as well, but this, this is, you know, the, the, the de- I think I'd call it the defiant looks that uh, hmm. that every person in this fi- in this film has and you know like because it is uh within the realm of music video i think that's you know not outside of the realm of possibility it's it's not unusual it's not like um uh the kid at the end of the 400 blows clocking the camera where you're like whoa what is happening it's you yeah. know perfectly within that in that spectrum and i think half of that half of that is um, that defiant gaze, you know, um, I don't know why, but I think of that famous Southern Gothic painting with the, with the couple, you know, the farm couple, oh, yeah. at the camera. when I see Jay-Z and Beyonce together, I think of like, 
an elevated royalty version of that. You know, I think a lot of the the portraiture that they've been doing for their music videos together, standing together, has felt like that um, or felt like a, a sort of play on that. Um, no better than um, uh, the music video for Ape Shit. Uh, have you seen that where, mm-hmm. they, where they shot it in the Louvre in France? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. You know, that's an astonishing video. What I love about these kinds of videos as well, these are not the kinds of videos I make. Uh, I'm not good at this kind of video. You know, like I think it's a it's a real art form, this kind of video. Like I find I find my videos, I'm I'm very anxious about like the moment to moment experience and I'm I'm very anxious about like the the cause and effect, like how does this scene play to the next scene? Um, but this type of music video making where it's it's really about portraiture and really beautiful portraiture that can sustain your, you know, you're watching it for, for long periods of time is a real mm-hmm. art form. And um, though, though they did use Shahir, they did use your color dusts. I did see that. I did see that a little bit. Yeah. There's a music. And I, from one of your music videos. Yeah. Yeah. There was a moment where they, where they started, it was very short. It was very brief, but I was like, yeah, I was like, I wonder if they sold my thing. No, no, no. I, I'm, I did not uh, invent that. I, I was just, I'm just pleased to see it. I think it's a cool look. Uh, there's a moment there. There's, a, but, but I think the thing is, there's such a variety of techniques and ideas at play here, and some of them sure. happen so briefly. There's a moment here where it looks like they cellophane wrapped a tree for about, like, I want to say half a mile around it on a square footage, and you know, Beyonce is delivering lines to the, to the camera but it's oh literally, yeah, yeah 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 but it's literally like three shots and then it's gone and i like in my brain i was just like man how long did it take to cellophane that tree up and then get beyonce dressed and then bring the camera in and do this scene and then only to have it like appear for a moment in this entire video you know like that's my entire budget for most of the videos i do um yeah. so I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of that stuff too i mean like i mean even if you look like Again, longer than that tree thing. I did see that three shots, but this, this, the, the settings and the places and the and the things you experience uh, are all over the place. You have the beach, you have a mansion, you have a synchronized swimming pool, you have like a human chess thing. Then you have like nine or ten like music video esque sets. Then you have like these extravagant interiors, and then you have like sort of cutaways to more surreal things like the the chalk or the trees. Uh, it it's like. Th- costuming location uh set set design is all on point oh yeah it's it's i mean this is that point we were making earlier about like this should be one of the things that you test out the quality of your visual you know your visual device because it's so beautiful to look at and yeah i think the the two questions and 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 i want to come back to really the ethos of the piece first before we go into sort of the uh quality of the piece um and in terms of the ethos of the piece you know, there's a, I think in many parts, um, the idea of Afrofuturism, you know, which I think we saw evident in um, Black Panther, for example, as well. And, and in, you know, collectively the idea of Afrofuturism and, and Afrocentrism is the idea that, that, that um, y- you know, we're reclaiming the idea that blackness has as much value if not more than whiteness in the context of representative media. And it's this idea that it's, it's sort of um, what would be uh, perhaps ghostly um, extravagant uh, in, if represented by another culture, particularly whiteness, you know, if, if it was whiteness 
um, representing what we're seeing in the screen, it, you know, particularly in this video, it would probably feel a little gauche, you know, like it'd be too extravagant. It's like, it's like Donald Trump in his gold house in, in a way, right? Yeah, because, yeah. because historically, yeah. Anglo-Saxon folk have just done that in real life and it's been terrible for everybody else. So, yeah, and, and, and so representatively, um, you know, the extravagance that we're seeing here is kind of a response to that and saying, no, we are kings and, and our blackness is not, you know, our blackness, is, which is something that has been, you know, uh, rejected on screen many times over or or mitigated on screen or demonized on screen or, yeah. or you know, like uh, told in a way that is um, uh, unflat, uh, you know, unflattering um, is now going to be, you know, taken to the opposite extreme where we're going to express our uh our beauty and our wonder and you know like to me one of the great examples of this is is coming to you know the beginning of coming to america and there's riffs on coming to you know i think there's a reason why coming to america is such an important piece of cinema uh, because of the way it represents uh african royalty you know this you know mm -hmm. it, it's sort of it's it's comic in that film but it's this idea that there is um, beyond the pale of what you know, you may have only seen on in American screens the idea of African Americans as you know the help or you know slavery and all that sort of stuff. But there is a royalty with which you cannot imagine uh, that is that is possible here. And I brought up this, uh, you know, and this is me responding to Jonathan Blade's quote here, you know, or his question about, um, you know, the, the defiant black looks. And I thought a little bit about um, uh, Bell Hooks's book, uh, Black Looks, Race and Representation. And uh, I didn't have a copy of it with me. Um, I have it at home, but I, I, I just Googled some some quotes from it. Um, and this one sort of struck me as like a way to read those direct addresses to camera. Um, and that was, and Bell Hooks writes here, the we evoked here is all of us, black people, people of color, who are daily bombarded with the powerful colonizing whiteness that seduces away from ourselves, that negates that there is beauty to be found in any form of blackness uh, that is not an imitation whiteness. And I think what Hooks is really talking about here is this idea that, that black faces and you know uh, representations of other ethnicities on screen can be as seductive and as um, beautiful. Uh, and, and I think, you know, part of what Beyonce is doing as a director in this video, you know, is is basically teeing up a world that says that black is beautiful, black is king. Um, and I think that's kind of this ethos to this whole project that that is really... I mean, it's seductive to look at. It's it's deeply, you know, beautiful to to actually see it on screen. It's surprising to see it on screen and to sort of engage with it on such a sort of uh, on the magnitude that it's up on screen. You know, like it's just the the sort of wealth and opulence that you're seeing that's kind of displayed in sort of this beautiful way is magical. The interesting thing too is that it, it that's like that's half of it. Yeah, <laughs> in a weird way. And the other half is the interesting part, which uh, I want to touch on for a second, is the Lion King side of it. Right. Yeah. Like, again, it's it's King Lear, but with lions, but also really conscripting and uh, um, uh, using a lot of I, I mean, literally a ton. If you go from the, the animated film to the uh, to the Broadway yeah. show to the new one to John Favreau's. It's it's conscripting a ton of African culture and 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 uh, 
basically uh, Americanizing it or, or, or sort of um, appropriating it. Thank you. Wow, right. I was yeah. really stumbling on that word. I couldn't think of it. But um, <laughs> it's so odd. Um, but now I think something that's very powerful about Black is King is it it is a very apt and important reminder of all of the aspects of the actual like the even the original the film the lion king yeah that is literally about africa and african culture even though it's it's couching it it's in in appropriation for lack of a better term so this is kind of like this is uh i mean uh, beyonce in her own way sort of like being like no this these are this is this is an intrinsic black story and here we go like this is what it is and I, I gotta say, I did not see, as we said before, the the remake of the Lion King because yeah. I felt, uh, I was like, look, I, Lion King's a great animated film. It's a classic. I, I love it. Uh, I don't need to see a different version of it because, or, or let me rephrase, I don't need to see the same story, but like with photorealistic animals because that's not the point. That I don't, I don't care. That was never the draw for me. Um, but but and and I'm always curious what does it take for a property or a film that I love to be remade like and when am I okay with it right like right. just on a personal like I'll go see it and to be honest this is one of the first times ever where I'm like yes this the the way this is done is why things and how things should be remade not necessarily in this exact way that Beyonce did it here but in in ways that explore aspects of either the narrative or the or the story or the production or whatever that were not explored before to do it in such a rich and interesting and new way and new take as black as king did uh actually like i mean the, the lion king is well worn and yeah. this breathed new life into the lion king which is insane so you weren't a fan uh, of uh of the guy richie aladdin i'm guessing not really. I mean, listen, I watched it on an airplane, so I was I liked it 12% more because I had that much less oxygen in my brain. Um, I, well, look, it was fine, but yeah. it wasn't necessary, nor did it like – I mean, now we talk about that a lot. Uh, it was necessary to make Disney money, and it was necessary to give people jobs, and that's great. Um, but like, it was not necessary for me because I think the animated Aladdin did a great job at whatever the animated Aladdin was trying to do. And I, um, I, I wasn't on the podcast, but you talked about the uh, the uh, remake of Beauty and the Beast as well at some point, right? Beauty and the Beast was interesting, too, because if you're going to the Disney Pantheon, I never had a huge tie to Beauty and the Beast. So mm-hmm. I, I, I came at that as a like, oh, all right. Like, I couldn't tell you the plot points really behind Beauty and the Beast. I mean, I guess I could like the basics, but like not like who kidnapped Belle's dad when and like you know, all of that stuff. So... Uh, that was more of a um, – it's a little bit different because I wasn't so tied to it. But again, all of these remakes are there just to keep the property pumping out dollars, which again is great for the film industry and people working in it, and that's awesome. And I hope that maybe – look, maybe kids will start with that and hopefully find something magical in the animated versions. It'll be interesting. The generation of kids that like started on the live action yeah, and then eventually find out like, wait, there's an animated Aladdin? <laughs> Like that's gonna be weird and very telling. We're getting a little off track, but, no, no, but, but that was but the other I, side. But I, I think what you're yeah. what you're raising here is this question of um, why does like in a, in many ways, Black is King is one of the most subversive pieces of art to come out on 
on the format Disney Plus because in many yeah. ways it feels like a refutation of the anime the, the 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 live action remake of the lion well it's not actually a live action remake but the the remake of the lion king which came out recently which although mm-hmm. i know there was a lot of touting about the fact that the 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 remake had a, a pretty much an all african uh, african american cast um still you know like i think what you're suggesting here somewhat feels like an appropriation of african culture and i you know i think the original is that too um it's yeah. it's it what i think we're sort of seeing here is the idea that this piece which is a visual album which is in many ways you know more akin to experimental film than it is to narrative or traditional cinema despite appearing on disney plus has this kind of subversive refutation of what the lion king is trying to do you know like by tethering it to the lion king it's actually kind of inverting what we understand about the lion king and revealing in many ways the flaws of what the lion you know the lion king is um and yeah and i mean look we've seen with hamilton too right mm-hmm. disney disney will stop clutching its pearls the second you drop enough money on the table yeah i mean that's that's what it is. It's a corporation. I think we forget that about a lot of these things. They're like, oh, that's not a real Disney thing to do. I think we've proven, even just in their streaming space, uh, anything is a Disney thing to do if it will make them enough money. Yeah, of course. Uh, of and course. that's that. And that's but, not. But that's what I, makes I say this, that as a. But that's what makes this yeah. subversive, right? It is, and it is. I mean, here's the thing. I, I truly believe. I, I can't think of another person. Uh, another uh, um, person of color or something along the lines to be able to walk in and and do this with the Lion King other than Beyonce. <laughs> and that's, that's but th- th- that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like, it's amazing that she gets to do it. The reason behind it is still capitalism. Uh, uh, and that kind of sucks on a side level. Like, but again. <laughs> it, it is, I mean, like again, you know, the I, point- it's almost like there's gray areas and things. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the point I was making uh, earlier is that music videos and visual albums or what have you are still kind of selling tools for the artist. You know, like it's still it's still part of the art, which is for sale. You know, it's not. And no that one, actually no one's, might no one's be, doing this out of altruism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I know. Uh, but the interesting. Well, actually, so there's this is I was going to get into this sort of later as a final thought, but it fits too well right here. Uh, there was a great uh, Vulture article, just a review about uh, from Craig Jenkins about uh, Black is King. Right. And it brought up this, and this is so fascinating and sad, lovely and sad. Again, gray area um, all at once. Uh, he, he closed out with this. He says, um, but Beyonce is a singer, songwriter, producer, director, and dancer, not a historian or politician. So it's hard to say that Black is King oversteps any boundaries in its simple mission to elevate black beauty and foster black unity. As governments fail to feign empathy for the most vulnerable in our society, we have come to lean on benevolent celebrities to follow in Oprah Winfrey's footsteps. Uh, like it keeps going yeah, on yeah, about that. And it basically yeah. brings up. It brings up the fact that literally the people that we employ with taxes to protect us and the vulnerable people in society and people that have either everything from things being appropriated to literally causing death uh, and and horrible living conditions, we can't trust them. And now uh, we we have to go toward um, celebrities to, as they sort of finish it off, uh, dedicate themselves to bridge the gap, but that's not in their job description. Yeah. And it's like, 
and it, I was just like, oh god, that's so sad and true. It, like, it is so sad and true, but it is the nature of of um, uh, I think it it is the nature of someone like Beyonce's um, not just her celebrity level, but her artistic uh, level is capable of doing as well. It's it's the it's the power of their celebrity to do this, which makes them iconic. You know, like it is yes. the, it's, it's the reason why there, there are a few artists that reach this, this sort of level in their careers. You know, you can probably think of them uh, on one hand and some of them fall very hard because their inability to live up to the earlier expectations. And I'm thinking of course of mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, Madonna, um, you know, but like bands like U2, you know, th- these are global icons that, that, um, become uh, thought leaders for some reason, you know, like, the, and, you know, as the, as the Vulture article points out, it's not within their job description in many cases, um, you know, like recently, if you look at comments from Madonna, for example, it's also outside of their worldview in me, you know, the, it's outside of the capacity of what they actually understand about the world. Um, but, but they're, they're, what makes them iconic and what makes Beyonce kind of the perfect uh, emblem for this type of um, uh, reimagining of black beauty is because they're so iconic. And the the fact that, again, it drops on Disney Plus um, makes it kind of extraordinary. You know, like Disney Plus is not the, you know, I, I've made the argument previously that I think Netflix has a political identity and it has been, it has been chasing that political identity through the documentaries it's produced. Disney Plus at this point has yet to prove that it has any identity outside of being uh, a place to find the commodification of Disney products. You know, like it, it is an extension of, of the Disney brand as we understand it. But yet Hamilton mm-hmm. and um, Black as King suggest that there may be the possibility that Disney Plus become something other than simply uh, a safe haven for watching things with your children where you don't feel like you're going to be, you know, bombarded. You know, this is the same reason. Challenge. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I, I don't think, look, I would love it if that's true. Yeah. Um, I really do. I said it Hamilton. I've said it here. The reason these things exist on Disney Plus is because they will make Disney money. If, if we get to that point where, like, because, like, Netflix – has a ton at this point, not not I think enough, but a ton more uh, sort of um, different voices in its stories that it's telling, um, both big and small. The 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 only two like hyper different things Disney has done is taken the largest, most bankable music acts yeah. and let them do their thing. Yeah, like I I hope I hope this is a um uh the weather vane is slowly turning and like the wind is going in the direction you've described but I just I don't see it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I'm, it will I'm perhaps be wh- being overly optimistic about like the Which, the political but I I will I, will I would say- like to call out real quick. I would like to call out just right then even for a split second you were being positive about Disney and I was being negative about Disney. <laughs> what kind of sick twisted alternate reality is this taking place in? We're taking place in a world where we're not doing a Marvel movie and we're doing Black as King. That that's yeah. that's the, you know Well that's, that's a good part. Yeah, that's the distinction. We're 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 taking and we're we're exploring something that we wouldn't ordinarily put, turn our attention to, and I think it's making me excited about it. Um, there mean, you go. You know, look, I, I think there are uh, points at which where this doesn't work. I think you know, Childish Gambino's uh, uh, piece Guava Island, which I think appeared on 
on uh, Prime. You know, we mentioned it before. I, I don't mm-hmm. think you know uh, does this very well. It, it, it's it's sort of it sort of uh, flounders in a lot of ways, and it becomes it feels like a. Um, uh, a sort of vacation you know there's this thing where uh filmmakers go on vacation and they make a movie when they're there that's what guava <laughs> island feels like oh. um that's not what black is king feels like it doesn't feel like anyone was no. taking a vacation uh in any of these locations like it felt you, you see the work on screen and it feels very difficult to make um yeah it's very deliberate they go they go to space and interact with celestial beings they yeah. they didn't just go to uh, a mansion and be like yo let's shoot this thing <laughs> And, and, you know, look, what I, what I guess maybe the reason why I'm excited about that idea is, is that it feels like Disney, uh, you know, again, I'm speaking broadly and without, you know, without any sort of uh, evidence to back this up, but just anecdotally is taking, you know, I think, and I think maybe the turning point here was Black Panther and seeing that Black mm. Panther is a billion dollar property that really plays into this idea of black excellence and black futurism and, 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 you know, like refuting the images that we've seen of blackness on screen and offering us something, an alternate, which is aspirational. Um, and I think the reason why that's important is because that aspiration then becomes reality. You know, like we, you know, kids walk around saying, you know, like doing the cross and, and being Black Panther and trying to be good. Wakanda it's like, forever. Yeah, Wakanda forever. And it's, and it's it's kind of amazing. And I think the reason I'm excited by that is a couple of things. Um, one is Mulan. You know, I think the idea of a live action version of Mulan, which uh, Nikki Caro, a New Zealander, is directing. Uh, by the way, as of recording this episode, yep. we just learned that Mulan will now be released on Disney Plus uh, and not have a theatrical ex- theatrical experience. Uh, obviously, that I, I while while some uh, have been quick to criticize that as a uh, a sort of we'll let this one go into the VOD world, but we'll try to hold on to Tenant as a, as a theatrical experience kind of example. I still think that's actually, what they're doing here is a smart play because I think more people will be at this point excited to pay 30 bucks to see Mulan on Disney Plus than they would be to pay 20, you know, $30 to go see Tenant and potentially catch COVID. Um, that's the thing we, we it's very important on that and i don't want to talk about this too much i don't want to derail we'll definitely talk about this when we probably do mulan yeah but it's it, you have to pay 30 dollars in addition to your monthly subscription to disney plus to get mulan it's a new it's a new world everybody and yeah. we'll talk about that i have so many thoughts i don't want to get into it right now though but but okay so um, uh, my my point there was that you know like that they there, there are issues around the remake of Mulan and what it represents and that sort of thing. But I think the idea of a big screen uh, Western film with an Asian lead, I think, is, you know, in of itself an interesting step in, in where we're heading. Um, the mm-hmm. other factor is that they um, that, you know, I think Beyonce and Jay-Z are kind of building this, you know, they're empire builders by by trade. And I think they're part of that empire building is is. is claiming you know putting a stake in disney as as creators within that world and i you know like one of the next ones will be that they are um uh what was the mermaid movie that uh chloe x Hall- uh you know chloe from uh chloe x Hall- chloe and hallie 
is uh, in uh, the Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid is being made for Disney with Chloe. Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, yeah. I thought I, I was like, he can't be thinking of the Little Mermaid. He can't be stumbling on that. I was, <laughs> I was like, I what was other actually, mermaid like, movie? I'm a like, Mermaid's Tale. Are they the remaking mermaids? Splash? Yes, yeah, Splash. What is this? No, the Little Mermaid. Um, you know, like that having a, 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 an African American lead. I, you know, I think mm-hmm. I think all of this is suggesting that the tide is changing slightly. And I think you know, look again as a person of color. For the this is obviously for the better, um, you know, and yeah. and and I you know I get a little bit excited about that, and I I get excited for the fact that Black is King on Disney is it on Disney Plus. That is, you know, like other than you know Lemonade appeared on HBO. HBO has been known to you know to put on content that challenges racial inequality. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Disney Plus kind of define that at this stage? I don't know, and this is kind of an interesting one. Anyway. Um, yeah. We talked a lot, uh, you know, so I think that sort of ethos of the project is is really beautiful and in many ways subversive. But let's talk about pragmatically or practically how we responded to it visually. You know, like how what you mentioned things like the the live chess players, the the the, the sort of beautiful and terrifying snake, dra- you know, as a piece of jewelry kind of thing. Um, this extraordinary sense of fashion, you know, an abstraction, abstract fashion that is. Uh, at at once beautiful and impractical. What were there anything else that you really responded to? Uh, other than the Kelly Rowland cameo, I love <laughs> Kelly Rowland. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, and there's a great lyric in one of the songs. I think it's in Brown. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the Brown Skin Girl. Brown Skin Girl. Uh, yeah. when, when she's going back and forth, she mentions um, um, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Lupita. Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it, it's a line about Lupita Nyong'o, and then it's a line about Kelly Rowland, uh, and it's like and then she just says like, and then Kelly rolls in, and I was like, I was like, ah, oh, god damn it, it's so good. Um, other than that, I the thing that got me was a little bit twofold. Um, visually, Simba when he's joyriding around uh, before he gets scared away, uh, when he's a little bit older, uh, when uh, in that like like glow-in-the-dark neon hearse. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. That was fucking cool as shit. But I, I think a smaller thing that actually got me um, was both both semblances of Scar um, when, when Simba is um, younger, and I think once when he's older, he has rings on his fingers. Yeah. And he clacks them together in a certain way. And it's like this weird threatening gesture and the way the audio sort of resonates when that happens always throws Simba off and like causes him to run except with the exception of sort of later on. Yeah. And uh, for whatever reason, like it's funny because, again, there's a loose tie to The Lion King. Um, That that moment, that action felt so scar-like and like animalistic and predatory that yeah. I was like, and it, and it, and clanging rings together would never be a thing where I would think, oh yes, that's the action that'll do that. <laughs> um, uh, so that was that weirdly that was sort of the moment that stands out to me the most. What about you? What's your what's your favorite? Oh, I'm I'm curious who that artist was. I think is I'm not sure. There's there's a number of names here. I'm not sure who is who because of just I'm out of touch. But I'm not sure. I if think it's Burna Boy, but I'm not quite yeah. sure. Yeah. Um. I look. I I just loved uh, Brown Skin Girls. Um. I think it was just it was yep. just delightful to watch, and you know like um, seeing Naomi Campbell and Lupita Nyong'o and uh, you know uh, Kelly Rowland and all these people just kind of like 
smiling and enjoying each other. I think, you know, like the, 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 you know, Beyonce as queen kind of thing seems to be more apparent or more relevant to me when she is gracious, you know, and, and mm. human and, and just like moments where she feels more gracious around people who are her friends makes her more relatable to me and makes this feel yeah. much more kind of um, not attainable, but less, less abstract to me. You know, I, I don't know why that sure. is. Sure. I mean, well, it's, it's, we keep talking about black excellence and black royalty. There's a thing about royalty in, in, in a sense, and this is not to, to Beyonce or anybody, but in ro- the concept of royalty in general is that they are greater than, right? Yeah. Like, and so anytime you see someone who is greater than, acting the way that you act with a friend or a loved one you have that oh they're just like us they're just like us and there's a nice bit of connection uh to that yeah yeah i would i i i think i just i i love those moments so i think that was really the standout track for me as well as well as i like the interiors of mood forever um and you know the live action chess playing you know the live body chess playing of mood forever mood forever mood forever was great keys to the kingdom was my favorite right um just that that whole setup was nuts. Oh, and uh, there's one specific costume change. I think when like I can't remember if she like pulls or like Beyonce drops her arms or something. It's in my power. Yeah, uh, where it just her her whole outfit just poof and just, just changes. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is really one of. I, I will say okay. So as a mild criticism, I found the actual music of most of this less appealing to me than lemonade was for example like lemonade there were tracks where i was like actually you know just vibing to the music whereas this kind of felt more of a piece of of the music was less front the the music felt less front and center to the visuals and i think the visuals kind of took more like to me the visuals were much more profound and and 100 yeah i was i was less enamored by the by the actual music that's not to say i didn't like the music but there's very few tracks of the black is king that i actually would recall or you know like would play later but i think that comes to this point that beyonce made you know like i pulled up the quote earlier of 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 the importance of the album and the importance of the album is the storytelling and and, you know, like there, you know, I think Kendrick Lamar had come up, you know, had kind of rewritten the rules of concept albums uh, a while back by, you know, like uh, making an album that was entirely a story. And I think this is kind of in the same way, rewriting the rules of like um, what, how is the importance of the album over the single. And sure. what I enjoyed here. Well, I mean, that's not a, that's not a new concept. Kendrick Lamar didn't. Come up no, no, with he didn't that. come I up mean, with th- it, but he, but I think when he did, uh, I forget the name of the album now. Um, but uh, I, the the last album I was listening to his was Section Eight Hundred Eight, which is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it's not the album that I'm thinking of that everyone listened to, you know, that had that track "Me" on it. And it, it everyone loves that track. Um, <laughs> everyone loves that album. God, well, I, yeah. I'm blanking here. Um, but I, I just, I, I think I love the idea that this was about the album and not the single. And yes, I agree. Li- and, and not just about the album, but also about the visuals. Um, you know, like I, I think the way, I'm not sure that if I played this in the car, I would get the same response to it or remember the things about it by listening to the music. I think I would want to throw on the album, uh, throw on, I would want to watch it, pl- play through or have it play to kind of experience the album. Yeah, and sense. I think that plays back I think that plays back uh, to a reason why I think it's a little bit more narrative driven than, say, a lemonade, right? Like, uh, 
because of again the underpinnings, the staplings of the Lion King narrative. Yeah. Um. Uh. Lemonade is an is an album that I can listen to, and I like two or three songs, and I'll I'll listen to those songs or whatever. And even though I think I think Don't Jealous Me was one of uh, my favorite tracks. Yeah. Along with that, and My Power, I think was really really uh great. Uh. I don't think like I will. It will have the same pull for me to pull it up on Spotify as say Lemonade would, because yeah. I think the the draw for me for this piece is it as an hour and a half in in its entirety as a film, which yeah. goes back actually. This is how I I kind of want to close out for me. Okay. Um. Uh. Which goes back to the whole thing you brought up at the beginning of the podcast. You know, we always talk about is this a film? Is this not a film? Right. I think what we've kind of hit on uh, what you've suggested and how I've been sort of feeling and, and talking about it is because of this. Because I I would I don't find myself like I, I where I see, I see the value for me and for uh, its most forward facing things out into the world. It says to me that this visual album. Weirdly enough, it is it is that important that the word visual comes before album, yeah. and the entire thing is a hundred percent a film because I would not get the feeling watching any disparate part of it outside of the context of it. The music, I think, is lesser than the visuals ever so slightly, mm-hmm. but you know, vice versa. I wouldn't want to just like watch the visuals. <laughs> like, you yeah. need the beat. You need the thing to be going with it. You need the emotion sort of behind what you're sort of seeing uh, from an auditory perspective. So, I think, I guess, my final thought is: yes, this is a hundred percent a film, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm very happy that it exists. Also, side note: I don't know if you've ever played Journey, Shahir, the video game Journey. Uh, no, I think I've mean to. Is that is that the one in the desert? Yes. Yeah. Uh, this whole thing if i i was going to bring it back to a video game gave me real journey vibes uh real if journey, you've played yeah. if you've watched i would love someone to email us in only movie podcast at gmail.com and uh if you've both played journey and watched black is king i want to see if i'm crazy tell me if you think you're getting this or not or if you're like matt shut the fuck up <laughs> um anyway that's my final my final stuff shahir what about you I mean, yeah, I think uh, I think this is really beautiful. The, I, I maybe you know the test of of the um, of the film question. I actually, you know, like I, the more we've talked about that, the less interested I've become in that question. You know, like I just, it, it's like okay, if it's not a film for you, that's great. If it is, that's great too. Like I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just less interested in getting into the specifics on that question. I think the thing that's interesting to me here is you know can you the the challenge of this is can you endure can you successfully engage an audience to to sit through 90 minutes of this and you know on that level to me the closer analogy is jeffrey reggio and rob frick uh who made samsara and the katsi trilogy and you know those are essentially visual explorations and and this is kind of the pop culture version of that you know like it it's not scored by philip glass it's it's scored by beyonce but it is kind of the visual you know like dynamic visual explorations of of a philosophical idea here which is you know um uh black excellence black beauty black royalty black uh, black everything you know black is king mm-hmm. and and i think in that respect it's it's a joy you know it is a it's a it's a real celebration and a kind of a joy to watch and it's inventive and in a way that like makes me go man 
Beyonce, the director, I'm kind of down for that. You know, like I have, I'm like, you yeah. know, you know, we've seen Beyonce, the actress in, in, you know, from gold member through the dream girls through to a lot of things. I'm like, I'm really interested in Beyonce, the director, you know, making whatever she wants to make. But I'm like, I'm very curious what that would look like and what that would feel like. Um, yeah. I know Madonna directed, uh, did Madonna direct a movie at some point? Did she direct? No, she didn't direct Body of Evidence. I, I know artists, I you know, d- dip into filmmaking. And I, and, and I think, you know, Lady Gaga is also prime for that. But I'm like, Beyonce, the director, I'm here for this. And I want to see what that is, you know, like. What is what what is Beyonce the filmmaker able to bring to the table? Because I know this is, you know, look. Uh, the the other thing that makes this sort of beautifully sweet is that it is it's a love letter to her son, you know, and yeah. and and it's a love letter to her child, and and basically saying this is the world in which I want you to see yourself in. Um, yeah, and and I think that's really beautiful and touching. And I'm I'm curious what personal statements Beyonce has as a that she can express as a filmmaker. Um, you know, yeah. and, and this is sort of, again, crouched in her, her music, her, her symbolism, her, her iconography as an artist and as a love letter to a child. But like, yeah, what does Beyonce, the filmmaker have to say? Um, and I'm, and I'm, I know, well, I mentioned So this film actually, and I think it, it should be noted too. Uh, it, there's, there are multiple directors for this movie. Beyonce, yeah. of course, is front and center, but also there's Emmanuel Ajay and, uh, Blitz Bazwuli, I believe, yeah. uh, Baza, Um, uh, so I would love to see like pure Beyonce direct a film. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think that would be uh, the hotness, and I, I'm sure it's going to happen. Uh, maybe, maybe not. But maybe I this is all she that. does. You know, like this is the work maybe. that she lives in. You know, like yeah, who knows? Yeah. Anyway, uh, th- this has been the only podcast about the film Black is King. Uh, that is not true. Actually, I know our friends over at Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood with actually Black Tessa was a guest on it. I can't believe. Jump. Yeah. Yeah, uh, over there, so you can show, go check out their episode on uh, this film, of course. Uh, Shahir, when you are not chasing away the heir apparent to your throne uh, once your brother dies in a tragic uh, giant yak accident, where can folks find you? I thought you were just talking about me chasing my son, trying to get him to go to the bathroom, uh, which, by the way, is hell. No. <laughs> no. Um, you can find me uh, uh, watching the throne at uh, my website, www.shahirdaud.com. Matt, when you are writing a perfectly calibrated list of all the things that is film and all the things that is not where can people find you you can find me totally not thinking in binary being a human with soft skin and no metal exoskeleton over at my website m-a-t-t-h-w-k-r-o-l.com for my life and works also skeletor the number for p-r-e-z on instagram or emperor msk on twitter also uh please check out the good works we're doing over at extra credits by now the first of the third century crisis extra histories about roman history and how there was like 26 emperors during this time those are just the legitimate ones and something like <laughs> to just so much murder it's insane uh, if you want the nuttiest Roman history I think you can get, uh, it's a phenomenal series. Please go check that out. I have out. been telling my son about the uh, uh, Mount Vesuvius and the full, you know, like the eventual uh, death yep. of, of the Roman Empire. And he got really sad when I started explaining what happened. And he maybe, I was like, suddenly like, maybe he's too young for this. You know, I don't know. But he was like, he, he, this is the first time ever I've experienced this. But he actually said, can we not talk about this? It's making me sad. And I was like, oh. Well, 
There's an interesting thing, and I imagine that. Sorry, this is an end tangent for the ages, but like I think uh, so. Kids, obviously, from my understanding, and you would know better having one. Uh, but like they'll internalize whatever you tell them pretty quickly at the age your son is. Um, there's something interesting that we deal with on Extra History as a history, a history show is that uh, the farther back the history is, yeah. no matter how horrific it is you weirdly are com- more comfortable having fun or doing different takes with it yeah. like and it's and it we we illustrate this because the 3rd century crisis in Rome is fucking terrifying right. like literally it was just emperors being murdered by the people that were supposed to protect them over and over and over again and the economy and culture in and in, in free fall okay and we put like a big thing on the screen like in these stone letters like 3rd century crisis but then we talk about how it's so far gone that like it almost becomes a comedy of errors. And then we switch, we switch the graphic to look like Seinfeld text in the Seinfeld like oval, like third century crisis. There's just a weird thing that I think adults can do with information like this that I don't think kids are yet equipped with because they're going to internalize it almost like that it's happening right now, right. like in a weird way. Um, so that's very sweet that your son didn't want to talk about Mount Vesuvius. We uh, we also we've been talking a lot about when his when he's going to get to watch grown up movies, and right now the one thing he's obsessed with because I showed him a scene from it is Tron Legacy. <laughs> I've really tried to expl- like because because the visuals are so cool um, that I've really tried and like I showed him what the original Tron looked like, and then I showed him well what the new Tron looks like. And we talked about like computer graphics and how things changed over time. And he was like, he's really obsessed with it. Like we listen to only the Tron legacy soundtrack by Daft Punk. You know, now that's the only thing we listen to in this house. Um, and, uh, he, we've come to an agreement that he may be able to watch that movie at the age of 10 if he's a mature 10 year old and he's really working on it. He's like, he's really trying to gear up to be a mature 10 year old at this point. So he can watch Tron legacy. I don't know how I'm going to, li- I'm going to disappoint him by letting him know it's not a good movie. I mean, that's the thing. Tron legacy is the coolest movie when you've seen 10 minutes of it. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Cause you're just inventing the rest with your mind. Anyway, everybody, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, email us in your thoughts about black is King only movie podcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at only movie pod. Uh, We'll be back next week with another movie. With a movie. A film. There'll be one. (laughs) You'll you'll see. Uh, Oh, and as a fun little aside, uh, if you can't tell, in this episode... Uh, we actually took an eight-hour break due to the storm knocking out Shahir's internet. So <laughs> see if you can find the fun place where we did the edit. Okay, bye! Bye! <laughs> <laughs>